live. And so I wanted to just welcome everybody to another episode of Scale Up Heroes. And what that means is that you are all the heroes that we are looking up to. And today we're talking about scaling up talent. So every hero needs a sidekick, whether it's Robin or whether it's an entire city of, of individuals that are, you know, kind of supporting the cause. So the reason why we have you is you have the experience, the talent and the airtime flying around on a cape trying to help these companies go from startup to scale up. And I'm excited today because we've got everybody here. We're going to talk about acquiring talent and scaling up talent, which is a big issue when you are a superhero and you need that team. So we have a rock star panel and moderator. We've got Alex Kustra from uh, from Kostra from Air uh, Amboss. Is that how you say it? Amboss? All right. And you're the talent acquisition manager. And then we've got Jess Park, head of the talent at UpCouncil in San Francisco. Then we've got Virginia Lloyd, director of talent at White Ops, New York. And then we've got Maria Santos. And she's at uh, Marfil in Barcelona. And then we've got Maria Dunn, VP of Talent and Manage uh, by Q. So my role is just to kind of get things kicked off and then do a nice fun summary in the end. And uh, I am excited to hear what everyone has to say. So Alex, I'm going to pass it over to you. And before I do, for anyone who's interested in seeing more of these types of episodes, you can go to scaleupacademy.io. That's scaleupacademy.io. All right, Alex, take it away, buddy. Thank you very much, Ryan. I'm looking forward. Um, so the first thing that I would like to discuss for today is um, something that we might all have experienced once is that a hiring manager comes in and um, tells you a few things that he might be looking for. You start looking for the position. He had your interviews and halfway through, he's like, but that's not what I was looking for. Um, so what I was a bit curious about, Virginia, how do you actually manage to get this clarity to begin with that everyone is aligned, that you find or look for the person that is actually necessary for both the team and the company? Yeah, I think that one's a tough one. So a lot of times um, what we end up doing is a success profile early on. So before a job post is even posted, we want to make sure that the hiring manager is kind of going through an exercise of really thinking about what they need for like the 6, 12, 18 months for the person coming into this role. What are the needs versus the wants? Really kind of understanding where this person's going to sit, what projects they're going to be working on. This also gives them a chance to kind of understand, do I need someone more junior, mid, senior? Um, what are some of the things that they're going to be working on? Is it more strategic or tactical? So that can also really help to kind of hone in on that early on, because ultimately you don't want to spend a bunch of time interviewing people. You want to find the right person as fast as possible and hire them on. Um, so the closer you can kind of be to that one and done mark is really sort of what the goal would be. Um, so then this also gives you something to compare the candidates to versus comparing and contrasting candidates to each other. And then you're just sort of picking the best of what's available at that point versus knowing what you need and going out and finding it and being able to bring that person in. All right, cool. Um, and, and how do you manage? Do you also help like certain hiring managers to walk through the process um, or how? Because 18 months, for, especially for a scale up, might be a bit far out if the company is two years old. Um, so how do you help them structure their thoughts to actually get the right um, goals and needs on paper? Yeah, and I mean, it all depends on the size of the company, too. I mean, sometimes you're right. It's not realistic to think that far out. Um, but at least thinking kind of through the six and, and if you can, at least 12 months out so that you know, you know, ultimately if someone leaves within a year, then the company is losing money on that person. You want to make sure that you're setting them up for success and bringing in the right people that you need, but they also have the growth opportunities that they're looking for because it's obviously kind of a, a two-way street. It's kind of a matchmaking process. So um, a lot of times I'll sit down with them and just sort of walk them through kind of what the purpose is of it and then helping them kind of get on the right track. And a success profile will also help them develop their job description. Um, so then if you can, putting that, mm -hmm. you know, the success profile of like, here's some of the things that we would expect that you'd be doing in the next, you know, in, the, in your first six months here. Um, and then that also gives an indication to um, the candidate on some of the things that they're gonna be working on. So I think mm -hmm. it just helps sort of going through that mental exercise. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, cool. Thank you, Virginia. Um, what I was also a bit curious about, um, perhaps Jess, if, if you also have a few tips how you help um, UpCouncil defining what the talent is that they would need at a certain point. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I, um, I think that, um, um, she had some really great points. Um, and we do, we have a very similar process. Um, but, uh, one of the things I like to ask is, um, you know, have they hired for that role before? Um, because I think that, um, part of the kind of the, the journey and finding out, you know, what you're looking for, um, is whether you know what you're looking for. And so um, if the talent partner has, you know, done a search for that particular role or similar role, great. Um, if the hiring manager has, great. But if not, it's good to say that up front and kind of get that out of the way so that both of you are prepared to do a lot of learning. Um, so I've gone through that exercise a lot, you know, um, at my previous startup at this startup, uh, we have hired for roles that the managers just haven't hired before before. Um, and it really helps to do a lot of that upfront digging and learning mm -hmm. and what are people looking for. So um, that is part of uh, what we're, what kind of our, our process, if you will. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and, and are there also certain things that you help um, perhaps junior hiring managers or those that might not have been looking for a specific role or are perhaps not that long in the management position where they have responsibility for recruitment? Are there also certain things that, that you do specific or certain questions that you might ask that really helps to structure that process? Yeah, so um, so, so uh, very similar to, um, to what Virginia does, uh, there's a kickoff process that we do. Um, and so we figure out similar things like goals. Um, and I think for, even for managers who are very seasoned, um, who have been, you know, hiring for 15 years, um, there's, there's new roles that come up all the time. Right. And mm -hmm. one of the, one of the roles that I've noticed was like social media specifically with mm. Instagram. <laughs> so new, um, you know, I, I got on board with Instagram like way after it was cool. So, um, so just like that process, mm -hmm. um, I think is, is really interesting and just going out and finding out what other people are looking for. So what I suggest is, um, having the hiring managers talk to other managers who have hired for the role, talk to mm -hmm. you know, experts in that field. So one of the things I like to do is I'll tap my network and have, mm -hmm. um, and connect the manager and, and myself. And, you know, cause obviously I'm, I'm learning as well. Um, so that's one of the things I like to do, um, mm -hmm. as well as just figuring out like, it, like, like in terms of, um, the, the flex. So if somebody is a, you know, if somebody's looking for a few core skill sets, um, what are the things we can flex on that we can coach or train or, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. All right. All right. Cool. And um, Maria Dunn, uh, were there perhaps certain things that, that you think or you would do um, differently or that you would encourage um, starting <laughs> recruiters to do a bit more of before a position opens? Yeah, for sure. Hi. Uh, just a quick correction. I'm actually the VP of people at um, Managed by Q, but I do um, also lead the talent function, but just wanted to correct that uh, quickly. Um, but so I agree with both Virginia and Jess that, you know, meeting, you know, sitting down with a hiring manager and truly understanding what they're looking for. Uh, you know, they kind of mentioned the must haves and the nice to haves. There's always, mm -hmm. you know, that clarity you need to have also where, you know, where the hiring manager is willing to negotiate if the candidate doesn't have, you know, everything that they're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. being from, you know, startup, the startup environment and, you know, scaling companies, what I've also kind of run into sometimes is, you know, making sure that we're setting expectations with the hiring manager as well in re regards to the experience. So oftentimes I would get hiring managers that would come, you know, and say, listen, I need this person that has X, Y, and Z. We need them to mm -hmm. be this experience. And, you know, that person may come. And then when they join the team, they have everything they were looking for. But unfortunately, we don't give them a lot of opportunity to develop and grow. And so you kind of have to just make sure you're walking that fine line because, you know, most people, when they join a company, especially a new role, like, sure, they want to do what they, you know, were expected to do, but then they also want the opportunity to grow and develop. And if that manager is not able to give them that, there's going to be some, you know, disengagement. Um, and, and so that's something you have to be very careful of. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing I would just say is, you know, in my role today, I'm kind of the 
you know, that like the talent police. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, headcount is, you know, very, you know, sacred. And I think sometimes when you're scaling quickly, you know, you might've just gotten mm-hmm. some funding. It's like this free for all where, you know, everybody's talking about all these roles that they need. And, you know, it's like, well, I need this and I need that. And, you know, in my role today, I'm really like, okay, let's, you know, take a, take a second, look internally, you know, can this role be done by others? Can we expand or enlarge any roles that we have today? Are there any mm-hmm. folks that are might be in the wrong position today and we need to maybe pivot them um, and they can help take on some of these, you know, duties. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, uh, you know, along with everything that Virginia and Jess said, totally uh, aligned, (laughs) but just some extras uh, for, for me. All right, right. So basically also checking like what talent do we have on board and is it possible to, to fill up certain activities for a new role without actually opening a new role? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) I get along with cool, my Thank CFO. you, Maria. <laughs> no problem. Um, <laughs> um, Maria Santos, um, so, so how would you um, start a new position at um, Marfield? Did I say that correctly? Yes, correct, Marfield. <laughs> so basically we grew, we grew a lot. So basically we double or triple our size each year since I'm in the company. So that means that is challenging. Challenging in terms of uh, first everybody knows together and uh, everybody is very aligned, but mm-hmm. then you are putting strangers inside the teams. So one of the things that it's key for me, and uh, maybe it's a tip, I don't know. Every time we open a new position after the briefing and everything that uh, Jess and uh, everybody just said, I think it's very important also to realize if that profile exists or not <laughs> so in order to have that normally i ask for an example of a profile uh, that actually it is in the market because sometimes we are looking for something and we need to have in mind the 300 uh, 360 so we need to have in mind mm-hmm. the fit inside the team if the profile exists if it's easy to bring the time to hire of that profile so a lot of things that normally the hiring manager doesn't have into account when we kick off um, a new profile. And one thing that we do a little bit different, maybe from what I heard, it's that uh, while we are drafting the job description, normally I ask the manager to give me the sine qua non requisitions and the extra ones, let's say, Mm -hmm. but we align all the job descriptions because like this, we keep on with the same, let's say, look and feel that we have. Mm-hmm. among the company because otherwise you can have a job description uh, done by an engineer or done by a sales guy and could be totally different so mm-hmm. like this we keep on with the same look and feel from for all of them but um on the job descriptions would you change the the the, the requirements like is it the template that you use and then just <laughs> apologies give hiring managers or or others uh, the chance to fill in the requirements and the activities they- there are some requirements that are changed, yes, because mm-hmm. sometimes we think about the well, if we think about the perfect profile, probably it will speak 11 languages and uh, several other stuff. And in the market, in the real market, it's very difficult and mm-hmm. hard to find. So, if we are willing to spend some time uh, doing it, yes, we can look for it, but that's why we ask for a requirement, uh, ask for an example of a profile, because like mm-hmm. this, if it exists it's on you can google and find it if not <laughs> we need to talk about it <laughs> okay. all right cool thank you for that um and also glad that i actually um ended with you on this topic because the next topic is on, on building cohesive and collaborative teams um and you just told me that year over year you've doubled the team so how do you manage to keep these teams working together and that you don't get all islands within your company that are just doing their job but are not very talkative or communicative with each other well it's very difficult i must say and i believe all of you if you're managing people you know that (laughs) because at the beginning when you do a startup and you have like 20 employees everybody knows each other and everybody feels part of the decision making when we are growing not everybody can be in all the meetings not everybody can know absolutely everything that what is going on mm-hmm. so basically what we have done at marfield and it's still a work in progress but because 
you scale and you scale more. <laughs> so it, it's not something that stops. So it's very important to have in mind um, what we do. It's try to avoid to have uh, big and large teams because we work with the child methodologies and we try to use that uh, pizza rule that we will not have a team bigger than uh, a pizza because we can eat a pizza together as a team. Okay, so it's very agile and we do several things also in order to to try the, the teams to get together because if we if we think about a team we think about crazy teams like in sports there are teams that they know each other for a long time but with the hiring rhythm in a startup you end up working with strangers uh, that you need to feel cohesive with and feels like friends so we try to do several things like I don't know, team building events. Uh, we have one day of pizza and all hands meeting, all hands meeting, like mm -hmm. kind of several rituals in order for everybody to be aligned and uh, feel welcome because uh, the ones that are coming are joining a team that already exists. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they need to, to be, we need to build a crazy team. So it's very important for everybody to be, to feel like, like home. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and and um, on team events, like, do you, do you have certain opinions on this? Because I've been working for companies where um, at 3 p.m. they would start with the beer sometime, um, <laughs> which which is fun on a Friday, I have to say, but I'm not sure if it's always the best and on productivity for the Friday afternoon. Um, so do you have certain certain tips or ideas that are really uh, focused on, on a collaborative um, um, team building, basically? Yes, basically, we do several kinds of team team building so once per quarter we do one that involves the full team because we are based in Barcelona we are 120 but we have three people in a, a small working space in New York so it's very important for everybody to be aligned so we get everybody together on Christmas time and then we do a, a huge team building event on uh, on summer for instance this summer we did Takeshi Castle I don't know if you know what it is it's, yeah okay yeah. so it's very fun everybody looks to each other like we are going to be like clowns doing this but everybody gets along very well and you see people in another environment which is not your working space so I think it's very important in order to feel like a team to people to feel relaxed to to do mistakes to learn from them and to feel that the focus is not the person but the processes so we can all do mistakes we can all learn so the Takeshi Castle, it's a, it's a good team building event in order to learn that. <laughs> Definitely, I never thought about it. For those who don't know, like Takeshi Castle is a, a slightly an obstacle course with a lot of mud that is just not possible to to, to run through. But it's for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, I never thought of that one, but that's a nice one. Thank you, Maria. Um, Maria Dunn, then I'm, I'm also a little bit um, curious, like you as, as talent police, how do you um, make sure that, that, that the teams do stay collaborative? Yeah, so I think, you know, as you scale to Maria's point, that does become more difficult, you know, smaller companies, they're, you know, they're all really close, everyone's in the same room, all and like they can move very, very quickly. So as you scale, it's really important that uh, you create these opportunities for people to, you know, still make decisions quickly. And then we've definitely seen that at Managed by Q as we've grown, you know, from, you know, 20, 30 people now to, you know, over 200. It's like, okay, how do you continue to make decisions quickly, move quickly, um, but making sure you don't leave anybody out? So I would say first and foremost, um, you know, having defined roles and responsibilities is critical, right? Like, and publish mm -hmm. them. So not only should the individual know what they're responsible for, um, but also the teams that are all working together need to have clarity on that. So um, that's first and, you know, really knowing who's the ultimate decision maker, right? That, that another team might have to go to and say, you know, Hey, Alex, like this is something our team's working on. Like, does this work for your team? And that person can represent and get in sync, um, with mm -hmm. that other team. Um, and, and kind of similar to that is, you know, really kind of having this, this mantra when you're, you're, you know, going full steam ahead with these decisions is saying, okay, who else is this going to affect? This happens all the time. I've seen it so many times where one group gets really excited about something and they're full steam ahead and they go after it and then they ship it or they, you know, put it into process. And then all of a sudden another team is like, hey, 
wait a second, this is totally messing with our, you know, workflow or our process, or did you even think about the customer We're, you know, the voice of the customer. And so I think um, that's kind of this other drum that I beat is, is, you know, constantly saying that to yourself. It's like, who else needs to know about this? Who do we need to get in sync with before we, you know, move forward with this? Um, all right, cool. Thank you for that. I, I just got a message. Um... <coughs> I really don't get it. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I, was, I was just monitoring Facebook and we have somebody who oh, had a comment right. that came in. So you can check that out. Maybe weave it in because we've got, you know, millions of people, maybe handfuls of people that are watching us right now, you know. Yeah, yeah. So just try and incorporate everybody. All right, but all right, I'm all right. I'll, I'll try to, to see. I'll try to see. Did you send her also? Okay, I have to read that again. I'm not 100% sure if I got the question, but I'll yeah, no, you, you, can, yeah, you can just weave it in. Keep keep rocking and rolling. All right, 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 right. Um, Maria, then, um, so that that's quite an interesting thing to 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 also make sure that everyone um, has clarity, is aligned, and and make sure. Um, but how do you make sure that the team stays agile in these kinds of environment where you have a clear um, hierarchy path where it's clear, like, this is the end uh, responsibility. Cause sometimes it might even be, yeah, it's not my responsibility. Like it's his, um, deal with it. And I'll just focus on those three tasks that I'm good at. Um, how, how do you make sure that the team does stay agile in this, um, it's a bit shit, a tricky question, I guess, but yeah, sure. I mean, for me personally, I mean, you know, I, I use the police, uh, but that's not really what I, I do day in and day out, but I think you have to tie it back to just what the expectations are for, uh, you know, the team and individuals, you know, something we do and I've done in past, uh, workspaces is, you know, tying, you know, principles and, and whatever we, you know, live in our culture, like whatever our culture is about, you know, making sure that we have, you know, being agile or, you know, adaptable to change and nimble. I mean, we have this saying here that, you know, the only constant is change, right? And so I think, you know, for a manager, they have to make sure that they're managing um, that mm -hmm. expectation with their team. And if they feel that it's being surfaced, that someone is resistant to that, I mean, that does become, you know, a conversation with that individual to say, listen, like, this is a requirement for us. Like we have to, you know, be able to, go, you know, go with the changes and, and, but I also think it's important uh, anytime you, you know, are making a change or pivoting that, all your teams understand the why, right? I think sometimes decisions might be made at a higher level or in a vacuum. And that's why communicating and being transparent as to why we're doing this can get everybody bought in. And that typically um, helps with uh, individuals to get on board with the change. All right, all right, cool. Thank you, thank you. Um, Jess, I also have a, a question for you in that sense. Um, Cause at some point when you have a big team um, and you work with a lot of people, um it becomes quite complicated to see um who is like working on what communicating with what making sure that the clarity is there and that all the goals are aligned um so how would you set this up or would you assign someone uh, within the hr team to make sure that all the goals stays aligned and that the communication between the teams flow uh properly yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we are, so up councils about 45 right now and okay. we're going through this pain point, this, uh, no. you know, we can't just like yell across the, the very small room and say like, this is what's happening today. Um, so I think it's really utilizing the tools that you have. Um, uh, one of the tools we use is Slack. So, um, and this is kind of going back to what um, Maria said with um, like, a, like, letting everybody know who is, um, um, who's doing what. Um, and I think it starts at the beginning. So when you welcome someone in, um, they aren't like, oh, I didn't realize someone's starting and, you know, who are you? Um, so we use Slack email to announce new hires and what they're owning um, mm -hmm. just so that people are, are aligned at that very high level. Um, so yeah, so tools, I think, Things like all hands meetings are a really great forum for those high level discussions. Mm -hmm. um, and then things like offsites. Um, so we just had our offsite last Thursday. Um, and what we really like, the, the takeaway for us was um, where are we with our culture? What's the, what's the product roadmap and vision? Um, and just making sure that people know those really important things. And then also that, um, leadership knows the kind of the top of mind questions that um, everyone else has. Um, so 
I think it's really like having very strong communication and with the right areas, with the right channels. Mm-hmm. All right, right. Um, and, and do you yourself, um, or maybe within our console, doesn't have to be that you exactly are involved in this, but uh, do you have some tips to make sure that the team stays collaborative? Or do you have an idea when you start scaling from 45 to whichever headcount number you have in mind? Like how would you make sure to keep this um, collaborative spirit alive within the company? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think that like, uh, especially with millennials and and the workforce coming in, they really crave that collaboration. You know, we talk about impact and you see that across all roles and all companies at this point. Um, So it's really just helping them when they come in or, or just even with the workforce at hand, like making sure that everyone understands that that's, if that, you know, is your culture and if that's, um, I'm not sure what culture wouldn't be at this point, but um, just really making sure that that's emphasized. It's really important mm-hmm. that we're aligned. Um, and then, and kind of, I don't want to say making it dummy proof, but making it so simple for people to collaborate. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the tools, um, you know, and, and kind of educating people on what good communication and collaboration is um, so that they have like something to start with. Um, and then I think, Things that are really handy are um, if you have like a um, head of people ops or somebody in L&D, just kind of doing trainings as your company grows to facilitate discussions and what is good feedback and what what is good communication, because that really helps with collaboration. All right. All right. Thank you, Jess. Um, Thank you. That's quite a good um, understanding so far. Virginia, I also had a um, question for you because um, I wasn't 100% sure on the other three companies, but at least the White Ops, I was a bit sure. Um, but this is a global team. Like you're separated across a few more offices and not in, in within one. Um, so how do you manage the communication here to make sure that, well, the, 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 the people in New York stay aligned with whichever other uh, office you might have? Yeah, we, so we do a lot of the some similar things that Jess was describing um, with our all hands. We actually do a 30 minute all hands every week where it kind of gives everyone across all of our sites um, a chance to kind of be informed on higher level things that are happening. Um, and just for context, we have, we have a number of offices at this point, one in Canada. Um, we have a group in Argentina. We've got some remote um, hackers throughout the U.S., and then we have our headquarters in New York, but we're also establishing a Washington, D.C. and a London office. So we definitely have a lot of that kind of the scaling aspects happening at this point. So the um, another tool that we're using is AHA for project management kind of tracking. And then it's just more visible to everybody in the company on some of the things that are happening across all the teams. So even our HR team is using it to kind of track some of that and create more visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some of the other things, too, we don't use Slack, we use a similar uh, tool called FlowDoc for communicating Mm -hmm. across um, Messenger and all that too. So I think between the all hands meetings every week, um, and then we also do every six months an an on-site. So it'll be at one of our office locations where we invite all of our global employees. Uh, Last last time it was here in New York, Um, but then we have a like a three-day agenda where we have a bunch of different, you know, breakout sessions and an opportunity for people Mm -hmm. to collaborate on different things and so there's, there's definitely opportunities for travel involved, which I think is really important, that FaceTime and those internal networking opportunities are really priceless also. But yeah, still learning, but we found a few ways to learn. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, I, would, I, would, I would like to add something because I think it's very important and we didn't mention yet. So um, in order for us, and it helped a lot, uh, we implemented a human resources information system since the beginning. So that means every time a new person is coming in, uh, you can, it's like a who is who or a Facebook, if you prefer, internal one, uh, only with important stuff. <laughs> but everybody knows and it's prepared for the person that will start today. So we assign a buddy system. You can see the faces. They can see the organizational chart in order to see uh, the faces of who they will depend on. And then we prepare a good onboarding in order for well, for the new person, don't feel lost in translation because it's important. If you are based in another place, you don't have the, the feeling of who's starting or who's not. Uh, at least we have all the information at the same place. 
Right. And and um, it's quite an interesting um, topic as well. I have one follow-up question on this one because this the system, it, I guess, it requires a lot of management and development to make sure that it's always up to date. And um, no, it's totally well. I'm a fan of automatization, so okay. everything <laughs> I I try to have it's uh, very simple. It's I work with a SaaS company which is called. Can I tell the name? Or I don't know. I guess you can. Okay. So <laughs> it, it's called Bamboo and it has a plugin of an ATS. So I have mm -hmm. every information in the same system mm -hmm. and I could customize absolutely everything uh, for my field. So mm -hmm. um, it's very good. It's very easy. Basically, you prepare an onboarding. The person that will start will receive an email with everything that they need to fulfill. So mm -hmm. it's kind of do it yourself. But with that, you can have all your reports that you need, all the KPIs, you can check the turnover, you can check absolutely everything there. So I truly recommend the human resources information system from the beginning. It's mm -hmm. not scalable if you use just an Excel. So, and you know that when you are 100 and everybody's asking for holidays or things like that, that it, they seem basic, but it's very key to have everything very transparent and all the employees can access. So they can access their own um, their own panel and dashboard and see absolutely everything about their profiles. All right, cool. Thank you. Welcome. Mm -hmm. um, then I would like to move on to the next topic. Is there anyone who would still like to, to add something on on making sure that that your team stay cohesive and and collaborative across like multiple offices or um, even within home office? No? Okay. Um, then I'll move on uh, to the next topic. Because um, Maria Dunn, um, I guess this is also part of, of how to build like cohesive and collaborative teams. Um, but at the same time, when you scale quite fast, it becomes difficult to keep um, your culture. Um, when a team doubles or triples in size within a couple of weeks or months, um, it's, it's very difficult to keep that original culture alive. How do you manage that? Yeah, so this was definitely something that I've been challenged with being from very high hyper growth, you know, startups. And, you know, I think my my like simple answer here is that, you know, sometimes your culture does evolve as you grow. And I, I think that, you know, trying to not have that happen is, is kind of silly. I mean, it's just a part of the growth of the organization is that your culture with, will evolve. And I mean, quite frankly, when you think about how startups usually begin or, you know, very early stage companies, it's, you know, usually a founder or a group of founders and, you know, they might've all known each other. And so they're very similar in background. And, and then, you know, they get a couple of their network people. And then all of a sudden it's like the same, like 12 people that might have some like different skill sets, but like, generally their backgrounds are the same. And so, you know, with diversity and in inclusion being such, you know, a, a big thing now, it's like, you have to be okay with, you know, your, your, you know, teams, you know, getting more diverse. And that's a good thing because you're bringing in more ideas and different perspectives um, and backgrounds to the team. Um, but, you know, all that's being said, I, I think it is still, uh, you know, you still need to kind of hold true to, you know, your values and your principles. And, and that's what I think you should do is exact, exactly that is, you know, hire to your principles. So we have, you know, about seven principles that managed by Q that we interview against. Um, so it could be something like um, think big is, is an example of one. So our questions for interviewing from like the behavioral side are going to be based around, you know, how that candidate exhibits that uh, principle. And so, and we also, you know, not only interview to the principles, but we also performance manage to the principles. So part of our mid uh, year reviews, it's something that's being measured as, as how closely our employees are embodying our principles. And so those are kind of my two, you know, kind of tidbits there on, on you know, maintaining the culture. I think, you know, A, you should be okay to ha see it evolve, but, you know, stay true to, you know, what's important to the culture and the company by, you know, um, interviewing for and performance managing on you know, your principles and your values that you've established. Um, and then I would even go further is to say sometimes those need to be changed and updated <laughs> because the, you know, company has evolved. And so, mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of going back to the only constant is change. And I think everyone has to kind of be open that as you grow, things are naturally uh, and organically going to evolve and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as you're kind of, you know, staying in the right uh, path. Mm. All right. 
cool. Um, I do have a question on on. Um, so I mean, for 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 um, recruitment, it makes sense to 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 benchmark against the the cultural values that you have. But once you've hired someone and you realize that they do need some training on certain of the values that you have, how do you help them to get there? Because it's quite objective sometimes. They might not be so clearly written as deliver 10% Roy or do this or do that. So how do you help someone to get it through this, 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 this uh, training period from, from not being what you expect from a certain value to being what you expect from a certain value? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. It, it can be very um, subjective. And um, I think this this goes to, uh, it, it's imperative that your managers are trained on being able to deliver feedback. And what I mean by that is, you know, really, you know, candid, forthright feedback um, that often is a perception, right? So sometimes, uh, someone might be exhibiting behaviors that lead to a certain perception from another team member. It gets back to the manager and the manager has to deliver that feedback. And, you know, what we coach our managers on is making sure we don't go in with the you are this or you are doing this or you're acting like this, but more, you know, hey, like it's been brought to my attention. This tends, this seems to be the perception. Let's kind of talk about this and get, let me give you some examples of how, you know, you can correct this behavior or what really we're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the first piece of it. And then, you know, to specifically get into, you know, what great behaviors or embodying the principles looks like. Um, each one of our jobs and our, our roles have kind of their own description of what, you know, embodying the principles means to their role, um, which is super important because, you know, at just face value, they're kind of general and um, it's yeah. kind of hard to say, well, what does that exactly mean for me as a software yeah. engineer? So the managers on that team make sure that they have definitions of what, you know, thinking big, using that example again, looks like if you're a software engineer. So someone can be um, clear on, you know, what that expectations, uh, what, what, what it is exactly. All right, cool. Thank you. Um, Jess, I, I was also a little bit curious, um, you as, as a head of talent um, at, at um, UpConsole, like are there certain things that, that you also might be doing uh, to make sure that, that people align with the culture that you want to develop? And especially while you're scaling also keep uh, aligned with what you expect of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, it's funny, like, uh, I think, so what Maria said around um, defining the behaviors is super important. Um, at my previous company, uh, the one of the founders had this idea of what, um, you know, having, uh, going the extra mile as I was one of the values. And no one else realized that what she meant was one thing. And so everyone else was using the same language. And so I think alignment at the very beginning is important. Um, what we do at Up Council and what we did at um, HoneyBook was really talking about values during the interviewing process, um, very similar to what Maria said. Um, so we have like a set of questions um, to go with our values, to talk about those behaviors, um, to really kind of narrow down, you know, what it is we're looking for. Um, in a definitive way. So instead of being very like pie in the sky, very general, it's like um, give us an example of a time where you had to give really hard feedback or you had to receive hard feedback. What was that? You know, what was your, um, what was the end result? Um, and so just really um, having clear examples of that or, or scenarios is um, I think is really, really helpful. Um, and, and during like that kickoff meeting that I mentioned earlier, um, assigning values from the beginning for each person so that they're consistently hearing, you know, what is a good answer? What's, what's not <laughs> such a good answer? But would you also have the answers written out? So you have your questions there that, that are behavioral questions to screen for the, the, the values that you're looking for, but would you also have good answers written out? Or how do you, is it more of a gut feeling kind of thing where you're like, yeah, that sounds good? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think it's subjective, just like you know many interview questions. But I think if you discuss like, um, you know, if, if you're talking about impact and, and um, you kind of, you hire smart people who understand that a good impact or big impact isn't like, I, you know, I, I change the coffee filters every day. It's like, I identified a big problem um, with, you know, the customers were pointing this out. And so as a result, this is what happened. So I think it's like, 
um, kind of having that very logical and pragmatic approach to interviewing um, so that you, you, you know, like the bar for a good answer. Um, and it's not science, but it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's being very thoughtful and, and, and intentional. All right. All right. Cool. Thank you, Jess. Um, Virginia, I, I'm not sure if I heard this 100% correctly, but um, there's also some some um, engineers or hackers within um, within oh I forgot the name White Ops that was it um, <laughs> um, who are working from home like they're not in any office uh, located. How do you make sure that these people that I guess you recruit from from anywhere that are not allocated to a certain office? How do you make sure that they fit within the culture that you're looking for? Yeah, and that one's a little challenging. We have kind of a, a dynamic culture. Um, and I think within the security, it's a, our company is a cybersecurity focused um, company. I think within this space, especially, um, you have a lot, I would say a lot more introverts than potentially maybe a, a, another type of tech company. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people actually thrive um, on our team working remotely and working in the, the comfort of their own homes. And it's, it's really no different. I mean, a lot of people do Zoom calls they join meetings over video, um, a lot of, you know, messages going back and forth on FlowDoc. Um, they collaborate a lot with each other um, through a lot of those means. So in terms of the culture fit too, it's usually, um, I guess I'm not really sure how to answer that because it's, it's so, it's kind of unique, I guess, compared mm -hmm. to some of the other companies that I've worked for. Um, we kind of have a lot of little subcultures. And so like our, our hacker group and our security researchers, um, they kind of have a subculture of their own in a way. And mm -hmm. there's not a, a, a lot of overlap with the things that they're working on on a daily basis with the rest of the company in different ways, um, other than the all hands. And then the, the um, every six months when we have our onsite activities and that sort of thing, then everybody kind of comes together. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they do a lot of communication over their own, you know, processes and, and that sort of thing. I don't know if that's a great answer, but I hope it answered your question. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't in a way. Um, let, let me see if I can get a little bit more clear. I mean, microcultures will develop anyway, like any team that's working together will never be aligned with your global corporate idea on how you would like to have your culture. Um, but on, on the specific microculture from, from the hackers group, for example, because I guess there's quite a lot of them working from home, like they still have to be able to communicate with each other to, to, to transfer ideas from one side to the other and to be able to, to, to get things done ultimately in the end. Um, and, and when recruiting for people who are doing mostly home office, that becomes quite difficult to see if they're capable of doing that. Um, so do you have certain tips or ideas or, or suggestions how you can make sure that um, even though that they're not in the office often, still they are capable of getting things done together with their team? Yeah, I think a, a key indicator a lot of times is if have they done it before? Have they worked remotely before? Hmm. Um, a lot of the people that we end up hiring in those types of positions have or will start out with, you know, hiring someone in one of our office locations. And then, you know, after six months or a year or something like that, if they, you know, would prefer to work somewhere remotely, then, you know, assuming that their performance and everything, there's no, you know, red flags or any of that, then we're more than happy to accommodate too. So I think it's, it's sort of two ways. Uh, we try to be as flexible as possible, but also being mindful of kind of maintaining a consistent experience across a lot of the groups and the teams too. Um, and yeah, the communication aspect is really important for remote employees and them being able to kind of connect and feel included on everything. Um, so all of those different communication and networking opportunities that we kind of provide and travel opportunities and that sort of thing too, I think right. really helps kind of connect everyone and give them those mm -hmm. opportunities. Um, but yeah, did that answer right. it for you? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have one last question um, also for, for uh, Maria Dunn in this case, because you actually uh, managed to scale the company like double uh, year after year after year. Um, so how did you make sure that, that, that the culture stayed or how did you manage the development of the culture if it's not the same how it was when it began at Marfil? 
yes, Martha. Okay, so Maria yeah. Santos then. I was waiting for Maria then to answer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> so basically, we focus a lot in the hiring process to manage expectations from the candidates. Uh, we have several values, of course, like all the companies, I believe. But what we do actually different is we are very direct in the communication and we manage expectations. So there's one key thing mm -hmm. that first, we don't hire in a rush uh, because uh, if you're hiring in a rush, you can make mistakes and a mistake with a person is a huge mistake mm -hmm. and it, it can have a huge impact also. Uh, the second thing is we only hire good people so this sounds a little moral and ethics, but it's true. Basically, we don't hire anybody that we will not go for a beer with them mm -hmm. because a lot of, uh, well, almost every week we go for beers together. So this is very important for us, to, for you to feel comfortable with your colleague talking about whatever you want, about your dog or about the work. It doesn't matter, just for you to feel free to do it. And then we also do some... Well, in some cultures, they call it rituals. What we do is we work with the child methodology. So we have a stand-up uh, for the people that it's uh, inside Marfield and working on remote also that help us to keep everybody aligned for the kickoff of the day. Uh, we do production meetings every Monday and we do retrospective every Friday. Uh, also the all hands. So... What does that mean? It means that we create awareness and understanding for the new team leads or for the engineering leads, if you want, to replicate what they have been told, what they have been living. And like this, it keeps it much more easy to do it. Mm -hmm. So you need to find out which key values you have, which one you will not live without uh, at the time of the hiring process. This is uh, mandatory. And then the one that are not so perfect. So what we do here, we do coaching. So we do private sessions of coaching, uh, sometimes internal, sometimes external. It depends on what the issue is. And we work uh, with everybody in order to get though that interpersonal awareness, if you prefer, because that's kind of uh, the culture thing. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, thank you, Marie Santos, in this case. <laughs> I apologize for that one to begin with. Um, cool. No, I've, I've um, actually just, just out of curiosity, I have one last question. Um, I see we're a little bit over time, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep it a bit short, but I could go on for hours. <laughs> I mean, there's almost 40 years combined experience in HR here across me, so I can keep on asking questions <laughs> until I'm old. Um, but just, just to understand a bit, um, and I would like to start with you, Jess, like, do you have certain questions or, or certain things that you do with every interview that, that makes it sure that you're um, on target or that you're actually sure that you found the right person um, for the job? You're on mute. Sorry. Um, I just want to clarify um, questions that I um, like as a checkbox or that I ask every candidate. Um, every candidate, like certain things are, are candidate specific, which, which are more role uh, specific, which, which you should be able, I hope, to identify. <laughs> as a recruiter um but something that, that that you ask any candidate that that gives you a clarity from hey this is the kind of person i would like to work with or this is the kind of person that that just fits yeah yeah um i think that um it's really important for um all of our candidates to be able to talk about their accomplishments um i think it's like a, you know, a very basic thing but it also gives you an idea of how self-aware they are um and also um, their communication style and, and, and skills. Um, so if they can speak to something that really highlights their, their skill set, um, then, you know, I, I, then I move them forward. Um, and that's really my checkpoint at the very beginning um, when I'm screening candidates. Um, and so I think like you can really dig into um, why they think the accomplishment is important or who they worked with, um, the impact. So all of the kind of results driven things that, um, that, are, that are important um, overall and, and like kind of the skills that, that they'll need coming into Up Council. Um, so yeah, that's, that's consistently what I ask. All right, all right, cool. Thank you, Jess. Um, 
And um, I see we're, we're quite far over time. Um, <laughs> is, is there anyone uh, who would like to add something um, to, to a tip that they might have to identify the right talent? I, I think the most important thing is to manage expectations from both sides. So I would mm. say that uh, don't lie during the interview, don't oversell. Just find out if the candidate is telling you the truth or not with a competent mm. interview and that's it. That will be the, the key factor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Jess, I saw you wanted to, to add something. Oh, um, I, I was going to say that I feel like every really great hire that I've had, um, they've had uh, high EQ. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, empathy, being able, I feel like that really goes to like the verbal communication, the way that they're able to work with other people. Um, and even like the way that they're able to cater their communication style. Um, they, they seem to be the best leaders, the, you know, the people who um, you want to work with. So that's, that's, um, uh, I feel like that's really, really important mm -hmm. as you're feeling. I think, I'm sorry, I'm just going to add one more point. I think that's actually perfect. Um, and looking for the right traits that you want that really connect to the culture. I think if, I think culture fit can easily become a bias if you're not careful in really identifying what are the traits that you're looking for and how does that tie into creating the culture that we want and then being able to hire for the culture that you're trying to cultivate, not necessarily mm -hmm. the culture that you have at that moment. Um, but that should obviously tie back to the values of the company also. But that was all I wanted to add. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Virginia. Um, Ryan, I see you're back. I guess I should hand it over to you before I keep on chattering off for another half an hour. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I have I have pages and pages and pages of notes that have been taken here, but what, what a great conversation. So here it is. My, my wrap up is that it comes down to the three C's. I've been monitoring and I've heard communication, collaboration, and culture. Th those are the three basics. And everybody seems to go back to that communication, early communication, consistent communication, communication about expectations. And when it comes to collaborations, we've got people using technology and tools, but things as, as old school as stand-up meetings on Monday and as reflection meetings on Friday. So it's force feeding that collaboration. And then culture, you know, that feeds in with the communication and collaboration into the culture. I love the discussion around inclusion and diversity and being fearful about your initial team just expanding like uh, a cell that keeps dividing into one sort of uh, homogeneous species. But I think it's, for me, the, the heroes here, um, it's, uh, if, if you were to have a superpower, I think it is through a communication channel because the word communication just kept coming back up. So for everybody listening and for me, take the big takeaway is if you're not communicating early, properly, creating transparency and just drilling down those principles and the core values and how that fits into the actual activities and the actual outputs in those KPIs, then you're not setting yourself up for success. And it all comes down to the fact that the only thing that you can count on is that things will change. So if you communicate along that process, it sounds like you can scale up because it's not about avoiding problems. It's about communicating through them like true superheroes. So I, I wouldn't have thought that a superhero is a communication guru, but that's what you all of you ladies are. So it's it's amazing to see such a powerful panel coming from around the world. And Alex, great job. Keep the momentum. If anybody wants to see more of this, I'd encourage you to check out scaleupacademy.io. And personally, I would say reach out to each one of these individuals, find them on LinkedIn. Uh, I would assume that they'd be a great resource because it really, I really feel like you guys are sharing because you're caring. And that means that, you know, your superhero cape with a big HR on it is because you are the human resources, uh, whichever capacity within that. So I'm excited to, uh, to continue to get to know you. And if, uh, you know, maybe I'll come out and charge up your, your teams. I think it's just a communication hero nation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think that's it. So uh, everybody wave and then we will shut off and we will see everyone online sometime. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Bye. <laughs>